Brother Jim Ellis, I want to welcome you once again to Dispensational Ministries podcast. This will be the fourth in our series of messages concerning uh, God's Bible principles. In the previous three messages, we talked about different matters of principles, defined what a Christian principle is, and gave some examples of Christian principles, and even covered what the two main principles that we should always give attention to when making our decisions in life as God's people, that of our distinctiveness in Christ and being conformed to the world. Well, in this study, I'm I want to begin talking about some specific principles and how they relate to some common modern-day practices among God's people. Many years ago, I remember my pastor telling a story about uh, a man in his church. The pastor was preaching, and after the sermon was over with, the man walked up to the pastor and said, Preacher, you preached a fine message today. But at some point, preacher, you went from preaching to meddling. Well, today I guess I'm going to talk about some specific common practices by way of Christian principles that may sound to be a bit meddling in the affairs of folks. Not many years ago, I was preaching from my pulpit as pastor of the church about a specific evil that was taking root in American society. And the woman who I suppose was sympathetic to that evil practice jumped up, made a great big commotion in the church house, stomped out of her seat so everyone would notice, and went out the back door and turned around and slammed the door so hard it literally shook the church building. Now some of the people told me afterwards that they thought someone was shooting a gun inside the church building. It was so loud when she slammed that door. Well, I hope these following messages do not have that effect on our listeners, and that's not my intent. But the truth of God has to be spoken. There are just plenty of voices in American society which are speaking things which are contrary and diametrically opposed to the truth of the Word of God. Unless the truth is told, then how... Is anyone going to be able to distinguish between the truth and the lying voices that are prevalent in American society? In the first message on Christian principles, we talked about the evil of slavery and and how it related to Christian principles and all the tragedy that came as a result of that evil practice. One of the reasons that that evil was allowed to continue and flourish was because the truth of God was not being loudly preached and consistently preached by Bible preachers 
who at the time knew the truth, but because of common practice, practices that existed in their day, they shied away from preaching the truth about that great evil. Untold numbers of slave owners and sympathizers would get up on Sunday mornings, have their slaves hitch up their horse and buggies, and they and their families would ride off the Sunday morning church, and when they got there, they'd never hear one word about the evil of that slavery. They'd go home that afternoon after church, eat their Sunday dinner, prepared by people who were brought to America by the men-stealers that the Apostle Paul talked about. Now what if that preacher that morning had stood up and preached a fiery sermon against such a thing being allowed and burned a hole in the britches of those slave owners? Well, in most probability, they would have not had a job that afternoon and the whole community may have ridden them out of town on a rail. But the truth of God has to be preached, and it has to be preached in urgency and fervency and in all honest righteousness. And it has to be done that way, especially when and where not doing so is sure to result in evil bringing untold tragedy and shame to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and great, great harm to men and women. Nothing ever good ever comes to people, and especially God's people, when evil and sin is allowed to go unchecked by the preaching of the truth of God. Yes, folks get mad. People get real mad sometimes. Yes, people get offended. Yes, people get their touchy feelings hurt. But you know, that's far better than the consequences and tragedy of sin coming to men and women because the truth of God was silenced. And I, I never preach with the intention of making someone mad or hurting someone's feelings. But oftentimes that's the result. And it's the result many times because people do not like to be told the truth. If someone is looking for a reason to be offended, they will find it, no matter how sincere or, or even how kind the truth was present, presented to them. Well, that being said, let's look at the first principle I want to cover in this message, the principle of Christians having certain close associations and affiliations and influences and friendships and activities with worldly, unregenerate men and women. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 11, even a child is known by his doings whether his work be pure and whether it be right. We have something known as a Christian testimony, that as God's children, we are to always be careful to safeguard. That testimony consists of our outward life and our outward appearances that we project to the world of lost men and women. We are called to be separate from the unrighteous lifestyles of unbelievers and unsaved men and women. And we are charged in the Word of God with living our lives distinctively different 
from the, er, the world of unregenerate men and women. That is, men and women who are just simply not saved. We are supposed to project a life which is dedicated to living a righteous life before others, especially those who are not saved. If you are a child of God, you became a child of God by accepting and believing some very distinct truths from the Word of God. Those distinct truths involved sin and uh, the consequences of sin and the penalties of sin and and what Jesus Christ did for us in dying for our sins. You became a new creature in Jesus Christ. And that being the case, your life, your outlook on life, your hopes and your goals and your dreams and your reasons and motivations for life, those things became new and they became different. You turn from a life of unbelief and disobedience and sin to a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that new life is supposed to be a different life from the one that you had before you were saved. Romans 6.1 says, What shall we do then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In a new life in Jesus Christ, our habits changed, our outlooks changed, Outlooks on life changed, our philosophies of life changed, our patterns of life changed, our destinations in life and eternity changed. You see, that transformation of conversion, it's often difficult to explain in words. But everything in Paul's epistles teaches us that at the moment we were saved, we became distinctively different from those who are lost and unsaved and without the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. What could we possibly have in common with reckless, living unbelievers? What could you, as a child of God, have in common with men and women who are not saved, who live lives steeped in the affairs of this unregenerate world? Men and women who are deep in being conformed to the world that we have been told to not be conformed to. They are cardinal and we are spiritual. They are unrighteous in their position before God, but we have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. We have been made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, and that is the plain and simple teaching of the Word of God. Our promised future is in heaven. It is in a heavenly paradise being filled with hope and joy and glory. Their promised future is that of doom and damnation and utter hopelessness. Their lives are geared towards the physical and fleshly, and our lives are patterned after the things of the Spirit of God. Listen to what Paul had to say about this very matter. He said in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath, hath Christ with Belial, Belial being the wicked one and the unrighteous one, or what path hath he believed with an infidel? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, 
saith the Lord. Now, Paul's not telling us that we are supposed to isolate ourselves from other people or lost men and women. He never tells us to isolate ourselves, but rather we are supposed to distinguish ourselves from the world of unregenerate men and women. In other words, be distinctive, but be distinctive in a good and kind and righteous way. Isolation is not what the Bible teaches, and that is not what I am trying to relay here. The vast majority of people in this world are not born-again children of God. We cannot, and it would be foolish to think that we could live our lives without contact and without some association with lost men and women. But what Paul did teach is that we're supposed to be careful about our friendships and our associations so that we are not influenced by their unregenerate lifestyles. The sin nature of that law of sin that we've spoken about that indwells our members is kind of like a time bomb that's set to go off at the first opportunity it's given. All it needs is the right set of circumstances, and that old sin nature will explode. It's a foolish and careless matter for a child of God to pretend that they are beyond being influenced by the lifestyles of unsaved men and women. We just absolutely have to be careful to not give anyone the appearance that we approve or condone their unrighteous lifestyle. We are known by the company we keep. Even the world will lost men and women know that. You know, think for just a second. Most police records compiled on criminals always list what they call known associations. A person that has been released from prison on parole is always forbidden from associations with other felons or known criminals. Now, why is that? They set that as a stipulation of their parole so they, they, they will not be tempted to commit another crime by the associations that they have with other people who are and have been convicted of criminal activity. Ephesians 5.8 says, For we... For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the, the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. He did not say approve of them. He said, reprove them or rebuke them. That's what the word reprove means. And it's not uncommon for men and women who profess their faith in Christ to continue in the modern day so-called party life. They continue the frequent nightclubs or bars or rock concerts or live musical performances of men and women whose lifestyles and music and standards of life are far and away contrary to the righteous standards of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not uncommon for Christian men and women to 
follow pop stars as, as if they were gods or goddesses, or they swoon over country music singers and entertainers who have no concept of the truth of God. They, they take on sometimes the persona, uh, personas of unregenerate actors and performers. And some attempt to justify that kind of lifestyle by saying, well, you know, Jesus went into sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. That kind of logic, it's only a partial truth, and it's undefined by the comprehensive truth of the Word of God. Yes, the Lord Jesus would go into homes of men and women who were unbelievers and who were considered sinners of their time, but he did not go there to be complicit in their sin. He went there to convert them. He was not participating with them. He did not go there to participate or partake of their sinfulness. He was not there to condone their sinfulness. He went in there to be distinctive among them and to convert them. He went into the home of sinners but he did not go into their places of ill repute. He did not go into the places of drunkenness and perversion and hang out with them. He was not attempting to be part of the crowd. He didn't follow them on Facebook. They were not his idols. They were not his best friends. He went into the home of sinners with the sole purpose of getting them saved. They did not become his best friend. They became his converts. And he did not go into them and become complicit in their sinfulness. The Lord Jesus Christ was just not one of the guys. He was distinctive in everything that he did. Every action that he took was with purpose. And that purpose was convert the lost to righteousness. You see, the reason in the Bible that, that Jesus going into the home of sinners seems so unusual is because of the leaders, the religious leaders at the time of Christ. Those relig religious leaders forbid any what they called familiar contact with Gentiles and, and any Jews that they considered to be sinful Jews. They were forbidden from physically going into the home of any Gentile or any considered sinful Jew. They were, con they were forbidden from having any familiar conversation with them. In other words, they could not stand in public and carry on a casual conversation with any Gentile or any Jew who was considered a sinner Jew among the religious leaders. You could not even offer them a friendly greeting if you met them in public or as you walked past them, like, like saying, hello, how are you doing today? Or how are you? It was forbidden by the Jewish leaders of the day for anyone to sit down and enjoy a meal with someone who was considered a sinner or Gentile. They could not even be found walking side by side down a road with a Gentile or any Jew that they considered to be a sinner. And keep in mind, 
those Jewish leaders of the day, they were the law in Judea in that day and time. They had the power in many cases over life and death for a person. Now, if familiar contact or conversation was forbidden with, with someone, how were they to be converted? How were they going to be persuaded to turn from their sin? The fact that Jesus entered into the homes of sinners was a shock to the Jewish leaders, and it was an open rebuke by the Lord Jesus Christ of their foolish ideas of non-contact with sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. How was he going to do that if he was forbidden for having contact with sinners? There's a huge difference between contact with unrighteous living men and women for the sake of converting them to the Lord Jesus Christ and free and open association and affiliations and participations in their unrighteous activities. Sure, the Lord Jesus Christ went into sinners, but he did not go in as part of the crowd. He did not go into them to become complicit in their sin or to give the appearance of condoning their sinfulness. He did not go into them in order to begin a camaraderie with them and be part of their unrighteous living. Now, he did not isolate himself from sinners, but he was careful to maintain his distinctiveness from sinners. The very fact that he said he came to save sinners distinguished the fact that he was not a sinner and that he was distinct from those sinners. Salvation. Well, the very foundation of salvation is being saved from the penalty of sin and the judgment of God because of our sin and not the injustices that are present in, in society. Eternal life and eternal salvation is not a social matter. It is a holy matter before God. Salvation is not designed to alleviate us from the hardships that are involved in living our physical lives. It's not a matter of social justice or social injustice. It is deliverance from the penalty of sin before the God who created us. It is for the purpose of giving us eternal life in the life to come, and not in order to make our lives better or easier in this body of flesh. If we forsake our distinctiveness in Jesus Christ, and by our lifestyles we are giving off the appearance to others, if we are giving them the idea that sin and unrighteousness is okay, how are they going to seek repentance and salvation from their sin? The Bible says that the wages of sin is and always shall be death. If we appear to condone unrighteousness, either by our associations, 
or affiliations or influences and friendships and activities. All we are doing is telling lost men and women that they are okay in their sin when they are not okay. It is not going to be okay for anyone who leaves this this life lost and unsaved and unforgiven of their sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, it is just not going to be okay for them. And if we do not maintain our distinctiveness in Jesus Christ and purity of life, how are they going to understand that it's not going to be okay for them? God bless you. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. There's a lily, for every valley, there's a lily, for every garden, there's a